latest episode of crystal myth podcast this is your host leslie anderson and we have so last week we did serial killers didn't we i don't think it was a very popular one which i'm surprised at because who doesn't like a story about see or maybe it's just overdone and everyone knows everything there is to know about fucking serial killers it's a bit boring maybe oh well i still enjoy a good serial killer so So this uh, week we are talking about hexes and curses. Mm -hmm. Right, straight away I'm going to tell you that I don't believe in curses and hexes. And I think if you do believe it, then then a whole lot of shit is going to happen to you anyway. If you, I think it's all about belief, basically. If someone oh, wow. curses you, you have to believe that it's true for it to work. Like, that's basically the principle of voodoo. Yeah, away, I'm going to tell you that I, and this will probably blow your mind, do believe in curses and hexes. <laughs> Have you been cursed yourself? I've not, no, but you know, I just like to believe well, in everything. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> what, what about you, yes? Like, I don't believe in, like, voodoo curses and all that kind of thing. I was like, oh, someone's going to curse you. But I, I, I think I believe, kind of like you, that it's like, if you believe in something, it will happen to you. So if you believe that you're cursed, then bad things will happen to you. Kind of yeah, it's like a placebo, but like a placebo mm-hmm. thing. But I don't think someone writing some curse on a thing is going to, like, curse you. Like, I think that's nonsense. Weird things about, like, people, like, jinxing you and stuff like that. Like, I, I don't know if this is more like of an Arab thing, but a lot of people don't like to show that they've got something good or show that they're successful because they're really worried about Are you people. joking? Look at Dubai. That's pretty much a big fuck off. Look how much money we have. It is. It's a massive fuck off. But, like... <laughs> Like it's more like North Africans, like with Egyptians and Moroccans and the right. evil eye thing. That oh, I read about that. Yeah, that's meant to like ward away like bad spirits and. Curse. Not only there, but in Not Mexico, it's a big evil. thing. Yeah. In Latin America, the evil eye is a big thing. Like they say, if you've got a beautiful child and if um, you look at that child in envy, then you've given them the evil eye and cursed them. So I don't. And you have to rub eggs on them to get rid of it. So one person unpacked was my evil eyes. I've got evil eyes all over the house. I'm just trying to work out how many evil eyes I've got around the house. Seriously? Your house is very one of the first things I unpacked. I've got one, two, three, <laughs> five. Oh, he's counting his evil eyes. God, that's so creepy, Mark. Are the evil eyes, are they the things to protect you from the evil eye, though? Yeah, they're basically meant to... It's not like when we walk in your house, all the evil eyes are going to shoot laser beams at us and then we're all fucked. No, it's to protect the house. It's not to, like, right. bust the house. It's to keep curses out of the house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't personally believe in this stuff at all, but a lot of, like, North Africans do believe in it very strongly. I'm just not superstitious. Like Egyptians? Oh, yes. Before I, I'm thrown back to the serial... Sorry. I, I'm thrown back to the serial killer thing because I looked up serial killers in Egypt. I read about Rani and... Ryan Sakina. Ryan Sakina, right? But there was a more there was a more recent 
serial killer in Egypt and they actually like trademarked his name and had like opened up cafes and stuff with his nickname. Look, what's his name? I'm actually googling. And it's it's weird because he's from Alexandria. See, the moment I put Egyptian serial killer is you get Ryan Skeena. Right. Okay, this is him. He looks like a right cunt. So he's called Ramadan Abdel Rahim Mansour. And he was a a street. He was he was born in 1980 and executed in 2010. So it's not that long ago. And he was convicted for the rape and murder of at least 42 children. Pretty much all boys. Oh my god! I'm just doing this as well. All those victims were like ten to fourteen years old. Mm. And his nickname was right. I don't know if you can translate. I don't know what uh, Al Tor. What does Torbini mean? I've no idea, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know either. But yeah, I mean, it's like, written. Yeah, that he's from originally or something. Is it? Oh, he was. He was born in Cairo in Tanta, a town north of Cairo, yeah. and joined a street gang at an early age. He frequently travelled between Cairo and Alexandria by train, and he often killed like these wee boys on the carriage roof of the trains. Oh my God, what a prick! Yeah. Or he dumped them in the Nile, or he buried them alive and stuff. His crimes came to light in 2006 when two of his gang members were arrested, and Manzer acquired a nickname. Ah, oh, that's what it means, Al Torbini. It means express train oh. because that was his favourite location for the crimes. <laughs> Okay, well, I really don't know what the train is called. <laughs> <laughs> you told, right, and this is it, right? Remember we said that serial killers sometimes blame it on the devil or whatever? He told the prosecutors that he was possessed by a female jinn who commanded him to commit the crimes. No, mate, no. That's, no, fuck that. You're just evil. Yeah. So my it says, so. I was going to say, my hex is um, from a serial killer who also moved about on trains. Ooh. Interesting. What a coincidence. Random. Maybe it's the same, like, gin that's, like, in them both. Maybe. Soon after the arrest, Al-Aram, a widely circulated Egyptian newspaper, reported that some some products in Egypt were being named after Mansour's nickname, Al-Turbini. Several restaurants in Mansour's hometown, Tanta, started selling a so-called Al-Turbini sandwich. (laughs) Allegedly in demand by young locals. That's like having a Ted Bundy burrito or something. But so yeah. on, there's so many Jack the Ripper places. Like, yeah, that's true. It was called something the Ripper. Like I can't remember what it's called. But I used to get like my lunch Imagine stuff. getting like Peter Sutcliffe wine or <laughs> Hammers branded Hammers. That'd be fucked up, wouldn't it? <laughs> or a Fredway shovel. <laughs> it's, it's, I feel like a sandwich is more fucked up though. It's like, would you like a Fred West like cream bun? <laughs> oh my god, a Rose West cream bun. <laughs> Oh, well. Some tuk-tuk drivers named their vehicles Al Torbini to attract customers. Fuck. <laughs> the express train. Ripper stuff. It's, like, it's exactly the same thing. But it's fucked up, though. The Butcher of Garbia is what he was also called as well. Mm-hmm. well that's the only one that I could find other than those women. But, wow. He made it big, didn't he? <laughs> and the, well, I mean, is there a gap in the market there, you know, for opening up wasn't there murdering children? <laughs> no, I mean like a oh, shop with, with merchandise named after C- Well there's a place in Glasgow called Transo well, I suppose it's all Romanian food, but they sell wine with Vlad the Impaler on it. I mean, if enough time passes that seems okay, but he look how many people he killed. True. Do you know what actually that's weird because I'm saying it's like Jack the Ripper, but Jack the Ripper was like ages and ages ago. It's about weird mm. named after like a current 
serial yeah. killer. Like that's a bit twisted, actually. Yeah, but say like in five hundred years' time, would they? Would that be all right? I don't know. Fred and Rose West cushions, <laughs> which I have seen. No, okay. I think some people do like that kind of stuff, though. Do they not? Like, I don't know. Well, some people. I think they had like serial cards. Like... You know, like Pokemon cards, except it was serial killers, like baseball cards yeah. on them. Back to curses. <laughs> I just thought I, I just remembered that, and I really wanted to tell you about it. Yeah, that's all. It's quite interesting. Mark, yeah. I want to hear about your um your person that's like, yeah as well. Okay, so same person. I looked at, uh, the train thing. The Jake Bird, well, the Bird Hex, but it was by a guy called Jake Bird. So Jake Bird's Hex. Uh, so Jake Bird was a guy that was born in December of 1901, and he travelled. Where? About, yeah. uh, and well, so he was born in the US, and he oh. travelled about by train. But I can't tell you where he was born because he doesn't know where he was born. Maybe he was one of those hobo guys, you know, that's that, exactly that jumped in, up and down the trains. Yeah. Since the day he was born. So I think okay. his mum was one of the, like, um, sort of vagrant women. Mm. That's the right word, isn't it? The, I don't know what the right word is. I think so she was like a vagrant woman. So, yeah, she lived on the streets and just travelled all over America, sort of looking for little bits of work. And she fell pregnant with him. So he, he doesn't know where he was born. He doesn't know much about, like, his early life because he was just always... He was sort of brought up travelling about on the trains and he carried on travelling about in the trains. This oh, makes him sound quite sweet. He was also a, um, he was convicted of the murder of two women, but it's believed that he killed 46 women, so that's less sweet. Oh my god. That's not the curse. So the, the 46 murders are not the curse. That's just a, okay. that's a side note. It's just a wee side bit. Yeah, a wee bit of extra information. Add a wee bit of spice to the story. <laughs> he was a serial killer, so links to last week, because he would. Basically, when he was travelling around on the trains, he would choose a middle-aged woman and him, and he'd begin stalking them. And he would stalk them over the space of seven days until eventually it would culminate in following them home, hiding outside until they appeared to go to bed, and then breaking into their home and uh, bludgeoning them to death with his axe. Oh, my God. That's horrific. It, it is, rather. Yeah. And on the 30th of October 1947, he followed, which is how I ended up looking at this guy, because it's like not a Halloween. He wasn't doing it for Halloween, but I found out about him because I was reading an article about like weird things that have happened on On trains. And that was the 30th of October. So the 30th of October 1947, he followed his intended victim home, who was called Beverly June Clunt. Were you laughing at her second name, Leslie? Yeah, sorry. I thought you said clunge. <laughs> Again, when's it appropriate? I'm like, got myself. 1947. <laughs> I've got a silly name in my story, but carry on, yeah. <laughs> so after he believed she'd fallen asleep, he broke into her home, but she was still in the living room. He hacked her to death with his axe. Her daughter, oh. actually, who was upstairs and had turned the light off, she was also named Beverly. So younger Beverly woke up to the noise downstairs because she'd obviously just started to doze off, came downstairs and began screaming. There was police officers passing by and they heard her screaming and so headed towards the house. But by the time they arrived there, both of the women had been bludgeoned to death by his axe. He fled the scene and fled out the back door, but they followed him out the back door and managed to stop him from fleeing in the garden. And then obviously took him in and suspected that he was the man that had killed the 44? Yeah, 44 other women. So they I don't were know, how, how did they come to that conclusion? Well, maybe that's a whole other story. Well, maybe just 
I don't know. I, mean, yeah, I think they were just like, there's uh, somebody, basically there was a serial killer murdering <sighs> women aged like 35 to 50 with an axe after the women reported, when a lot of the cases after the women had reported being stalked and Beverly had reported being stalked and then this guy broken into her house with an axe. So, and they knew it was, well, obviously after they'd taken him into custody and they interviewed him about his life and they knew that he was a vagrant and he travelled about on the trains. So, that would have explained why there was like a pattern depending on where he'd been in the country, but basically just kind of followed roughly where he'd been. So they were like, well, he is somewhere, then he murders somebody and then he leaves. So it added up. Although they weren't able to charge him with the 44 other crimes because obviously they believed that that was the case, but as is the case for a lot of serial killers, they couldn't prove it. So he was sentenced to be executed, but he after his sentencing, he was allowed to make a final statement. Right. I don't know if that was a common thing in the 1940s. Yeah. No, it was a common thing because, like, the the Nike logo or catchphrase, what, just do it, was taken from a guy who whose last word, words were before he was shot is, really? let's do this. Oh, my God. That's crazy. That is crazy. He, yeah, there's a lot of them. Messed up bit of general knowledge. Yeah, when I read that, although then I didn't bother. I'm glad you were able to explain that to me, Leslie, because I didn't bother to check whether that was normal. I just thought that was really weird. So well, yeah, I mean, it's always a tradition, isn't it, to have, like, any last words? And some of them just think, why not? I Fuck it, I'm going to die. I may as well just say something mental. But this wasn't his last words before he was executed. So he wasn't executed until, I think, like, two and a half, three years later. So he was on oh. for quite a long time. So this was just at the end of the trial. They said... Do you want to stand up and give your statement now? So he stood up and gave a statement. Oh, ah. oh! How many? What? How many minutes long? Over twenty minutes. It was. Oh, I, I would have shut that shit. You know, like at the Oscars when you start playing the music to <laughs> drown them out. I think that's what they should have done there. Everybody just started wandering out the court, like. Oh, right. <laughs> so most of his statement focused on how he demanded to represent himself and that he oh. believed only been found guilty because he'd been provided with a lawyer called J.W. Selden instead of being allowed to represent himself. And he said that when he spoke with Selden, Selden refused to believe that he was just an unfortunate man caught up in a break-in gone wrong, which is um, <laughs> confusing to say the least. I always think it's fucked up when someone wants to represent themselves. Like, it's just, that already shows that they're a bit of a psychopath. Also, how can a break-in gone wrong be... I don't understand why he said he was an, an, an unfortunate man caught up in a break-in gone wrong. It's like, you, know, you, you stalked a woman for nearly a week and then bludgeoned her and her daughter to death. Like, what? Yeah, it's, but yeah you obviously, know, the fact like, that he doesn't so, represent himself and get off with it does indicate that he's completely mental. Sadly. Oh, goodness. But this is where we get to the hexy bit. So he gave a statement and then he finished his statement with the following, and I've just lifted this whole quote directly from a statement I summarised the rest of it so he finished it by saying I'm putting the Jake Bird hex on all of you all of you had anything to do with my being punished mark my words you will die before I do and then he did a it just said hand gesture I wish I knew what the hand gesture was probably the wanker one <laughs> yes that's exactly <laughs> what he did and then went back down so <laughs> Like, did it come to pass? Yeah, as we'd imagine that that would be the end of that. However, it did come, well, 
I say came to pass. Within did he give it? Wait, wait, Mark. So he said, who was he saying this to again? Was it the people who were executing them or watching them? So he named J.W. Selden specifically, and then he said that he was putting X on all of you who had anything to do with my... Oh. Like like the jury and the judge and stuff. Right, okay. And then he put a timeline. No, so he said this at his trial, and then he put a timeline on it to say that all use cancel die before I do. Yeah, so is he not just saying that to try and like extend his his execution date or to have them change their minds as if oh I'm so scared like I'll I'll just commute it to life in prison? Or because his mother was a railway witch and she taught him cursing, which seems okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's that, yeah. So within three weeks, uh, two of the men that were involved mm-hmm. in his being punished were dead. So mm-hmm. Edward D. Hodge, who was the guy who sentenced birds to death had a massive heart attack in his home all right. just under three weeks after the the hex had been placed on them so Still before his execution yeah so before his execution so he must be in jail like with his big fucking list crossing them all off unless nobody told them but maybe he must have known because he's the one that cursed them because he's the one that cursed them maybe he's just get like day, which would take us to exactly three weeks so 21 days after he put the curse out <laughs> Um, the, the officer who tra- transcribed and submitted a confession from Bert died of another massive heart attack while he was at work. Could just be coincidence, so. It could be coincidence. That was within a 24 hour period. The two of them both died of massive heart attacks. People die of heart attacks all the time. True. It's a bit common. They poison- well, he could have caught someone to poison them or his mum to poison them. He could have. His mum was probably dead. <laughs> Don't know. The real way like she lives on forever. Yeah, exactly. In our hearts. Sorry. <laughs> 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 I, I always have to. Yeah, I always have to like open a wee glass of wine in honour of the railway witch every time I get on a train, Who even if it? it was just yeah, <laughs> just in case. Right, just in case the train goes off the tracks. Yeah. So we had. Uh, so this, the second guy was the officer who transcribed and submitted his confessions. He died of a massive heart attack. And then three days after he died, the officer who signed off on the confession and confirmed that it was word for word what Berg had said died of what we would now call SADS, so that sudden adult death syndrome, but it was basically an unexplained death. So Okay, that one's weird. Yeah, so three days after his partner died, he just died and nobody knows what killed him. He was just at his work and he died and there was nothing wrong with his heart. How has no one made a movie of this? I know this sounds like it. It does. It, it, like you said, the Candyman. It does really actually sound like that could be. Yeah, it really, really is a really good horror movie. Yeah. So Hello. Then, <laughs> two days after the second officer died, the chief clerk of the court was in his garden and collapsed, and his wife went for the emergency services. By the time they arrived, he was dead. And again, he died of what we would now class as sudden adult death syndrome. When they took him to hospital, they could find no cause of death, but he was dead. Right, no I way. think there is something to this then. That's weird. Or his mum was just poisoning him. Yeah, but they couldn't find any traces of poison gas. So explain I that. Think, like Maybe they just didn't have like, the right tools to look for it. Well, didn't have the right tools for the job. Right. <laughs> yeah, because she just like would whip up some sort of mad plants and it would just look... Like, mad plants! Mad plants. <laughs> <laughs> really, 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 really,
seeing Columbo, they always like manage to kill them with like Digitalis or whatever, and you can't trace it. It just Digitalis. It's always seen Columbo. It's always Digitalis. I've <laughs> never watched one episode of Columbo. Of I hear it, it's quite popular. <laughs> Love Columbo. <laughs> 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 came, he would pure like solve all this, and he would find out who it was. But he would have to do it. Like he would, he would walk away, and then he turn around and go, "Just one last thing." Isn't that what he does? He does indeed. Yeah. Which is one last thing, and then whip a rug away in the railway, which should be under there holding some plants. <laughs> yeah. Here she is under here with a what's the plant called, Jazz? With a digitalis, it comes from a plant, and they always use this poison, and because you can't detect it, that's why they always use it. So. Is that not a bit like dodgy putting information like that on a TV show? They must have made up that term because was that. Give people like you know <clears throat> Yasmin ideas about you know using it against people. I have so many ideas that I have to like murder people and get away with it. <laughs> oh, God. I think you should just become like, a railway witch. <laughs> you murder with your mind. It's not my fault they put programs like CSI and all that on telly and make it seem like it's real. Oh. <laughs> anyway. So where was it? The chief, the chief clerk who just died, hadn't he? Okay, how many other people are going to die? So then exactly one week later from when the court clerk died, Bird's prison guard, who, to be fair, this one I'm slightly iffy on. I feel like I've already come into the curse because the other people, but his prison guard wasn't really in because he said, what was it? In his uh, all, of you, all of you who had anything to do with my being punished. So I don't really think yeah. had anything to do with him being punished. But, anyway, but then he is because he's the one that's punishing him in the jail by keeping yeah. him there. So he claimed, before the prison guard died, Bird claimed that this specific prison guard was treating him in an inhumane fashion. Exactly seven days after the chief clerk died, the prison guard was walking down the street and just collapsed and died in the middle of the street, again, of unknown causes. (laughs) Did you tell us? (laughs) Yes, now that his mum's going around poisoning people in my head, Jazz, I'm like... Mm, that kind of seems like his mom's going around poisoning people. <laughs> yeah. We've solved the hex. By this point, the only person that was left was J.W. Selden, so the lawyer that Bird specifically named and blamed in his speech. But Bird's execution was carried out on the 15th of July 1949, and Selden was still healthy and happy when Bird's execution was put, um, carried out. So he was the only person actually named in the curse, although he did say all of you, but the only person he actually named was Selden. And when he was executed on the 15th of July 1949, Selden was grand, he was healthy, he was happy, he was really, really fit. Well, then that's bullshit then. Until oh. the 15th of July 1950 when Selden also collapsed in his home and died of unexplained causes. Yeah, but does that really count? Because he's supposed to, he said that it would happen before he died. <coughs> maybe didn't get there in time. Like, maybe he just didn't. Do you not think the well, date's then weird? That's not good enough. <laughs> but the date's weird. I know it's not the same thing, but I just think right. because of the date, I think we can count that. What, the anniversary of his <coughs> Yeah, because he died on the anniversary of his execution. Do you know what I think it would be funnier is if on the day, was he, was he executed by electric chair or uh, gas? He was electrocuted by, sorry, he was electrocuted by execution. He was executed by electrocution. Right. In fact, so, I think it'd be funny if the guy that pulled the trigger for old Sparky also 
sparked out at the same time. So if him and Selden had both died at exactly the same time. Yeah, yeah, that would have been more. That would have had more of an impact in terms of the curse than oh, he just, he just died a year later. It would it would be an interesting. It would be going out with a bang. Let's put it that way. <laughs> It would be like a kind of I'm taking you with me kind of thing. Oh yeah, that would be awesome as well if he just actually exploded while they flipped the switch. Circuit it for the whole thing. Oh my goodness. And then took out the... Plus the executioner exploded, I would be really convinced. No, I was going to say, I still think the whole electric chair thing is just horrible, horrible way to get execute people. I think the gas chamber is pretty fucked up as well. I think anything where you're making these people suffer. I don't know. Do people suffer when they're in gas chambers or do they kind of go to sleep? Uh, yeah, because you have to, because some people might hold their breath or if they don't breathe in quick, because it doesn't have, they, they, I think it's cyanide gas that they would throw in. But it, would happen in stage, it would happen in stages, so it's not like you would die straight away. You would have to, if you wanted a quick death, the best thing, the best advice I could give would be to breathe it in really, really quickly, like breathe in as much as the gas as you can rather yeah. than trying not to breathe it in. Yeah, oh but God, even a lethal tough. injection is a pretty bad way to go because that can go horribly wrong because you're not allowed technically, you know, because the, the model for doctors is do no harm. Yeah. So doctors cannot as, cannot carry like administer the yeah. the drugs to put these criminals basically to execute them. So it's done by unqualified people and oh. they buy the drugs off of the, I don't know, whatever the fuck they get them from the big pharma unit. So that's dodgy enough. And sometimes they don't put in the right dose or it, it paralyzes them, but they can feel everything happening. It can go horribly wrong. Most inhumane way of doing it. Most humane way of doing it. Most and the most humane way of doing it was what the French used to do, and that's the guillotine. Yeah, that's true. Just a bit yucky. Bring it back. Isn't it? Yeah. Bring it back. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it back, hanging. <laughs> I'm generally not against the death penalty in any way. I'm just against doing it in a really yucky way. That's all. Just. It quickly. The guillotine was clean uh, and swift. Yeah, better than like using an axe to chop someone's head off as well. Just, just clean, quick, chop your head off. And people think it was the French that invented the guillotine. Well, technically they invented the modern version of the guillotine, but it was actually the Scottish that invented the um, dropping blade to execute yes. people. Did not know mm-hmm. that. Yep. Yeah. And they've got um uh and I don't know if it's an actual if it's a replica or if it's an actual. Um, I think it was called the Iron Maiden, actually, or something like that. <laughs> and it's in the Museum of Scotland in Edinburgh. Yeah. So, this Jake Bird guy, did that curse end with the executioner? Or the lawyer, right? Or the lawyer, yeah. Lawyer. Yeah, uh-huh. it, it, it ended with the lawyer. There was no further oh. questions of the hex. Hmm. wonder what happened to the witch train. Uh, the witch train? <laughs> The train witch. Oh no! <laughs> Do you know what? I bet he did it. I bet you that if like some psychologist was to get to him, it would probably be because he was missing his mum's love and he just wanted a hug from his mum, and that's why he was like stalking these women. Yeah, because it was. I, I, I also thought that when I was like, is all of his targets were these like older women? Yeah. yeah. Like he's killing his mum. Yeah, he's got mummy issues. Mm, they always do. I don't know, like, exactly. But we could get into that. We're, we're going to head down a serial killer rabbit hole if we go on about that. <laughs> like I was going to talk about Ed Kemper and how he killed his mum by she was a horrible bitch and oh. he cut her head off and then threw darts at it. Oh, lovely. Yeah. She's there. Well, let's move on. Yaz, what have you got? I'm doing Egyptian curses. Of course. Just... <laughs> 
I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of the Egyptian curses people know about already. So, like, yeah, like, the Tutankhamun one's probably the most famous, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Well, I think my question is more like, do you think it's real or not? Because the Tutankhamun one, I don't believe is true no. because I think I read recently that was it Carter or Lord Carter was one of them died of a like an infection after shaving. So well, they thought it was a mosquito bite, but actually people are saying that scientists are said that it was probably mold spores that had been there for like bacteria that had lain dormant for ages in that tomb that got onto his skin and that by shaving he opened his pores and the bacteria came in and basically killed him that way. So if he'd have just grown a beard he would have been fine. Even fine. Yeah, because I was doing similar things that yeah he it was like two weeks after they opened the tomb that yeah he had a mosquito bite or something. Mm-hmm. And- but he also cut itself shaving, but nobody yep. actually checked to see if it was even, if that cut and that mosquito bite were anywhere near each other. So a lot of people mm-hmm. think mosquito bite actually killed yeah, him. I don't think it was. Or the cut, like either way, he got infected in Egypt because it's, you know, not the cleanest place in the world. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Mike, Mark, what do you is think? the whole thing about the inscription of the curse actually true, or is that just like made up to give it a bit of well, excitement? I think in Egypt, ancient Egypt, they did have like curses or, or or like hieroglyphics that said. I think there were more warning things for robbers. But if you think about how many of the tombs got robbed by tomb raiders, not even just like in the twenties, like in the, the Middle Ages and stuff, like that didn't exactly work. Yeah, actually, that's quite interesting. You're saying that because it didn't come in. So a lot of the, um, the supposed curses were usually on the actual like case of a mummy. Mm-hmm. Sort of things along the words of, oh, if you open this, like it, it usually involved a deity. So like some sort of deity would be like, oh, if you like break this open, then this deity will like kill you or crush you or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's one that says, as for all men who shall enter this tomb, there will be judgment and end shall be made for him. I shall seize his neck like a bird. I shall cast the fear of myself into him. Which is quite a cool, cool curse. Camun one didn't actually have anything on the actual esophagus at all. Was that um, not because his death was so premature that they didn't have enough time to do it, so they had to rush? He wasn't yeah. even buried in his own tomb; he was buried in someone else's. Oh, which again makes me think, oh, that's the Camun one as well. Um, and also, there's obviously a few people that died. So, like, the actual expedition people died, like Carter, that you said, and... Warkin Arvin uh, and his dog. Yeah, so they died as well. But there's also, like, 50 other people working on the mm. thing. Like, the, okay, there's maybe five people died, but all the other people didn't die. So, mm. I mean, there was a curse, I think, on the, the door of the tomb, but nothing actually on him at all. And like you say, it wasn't even his own tomb, so that curse technically didn't relate to him but i yeah i think it's the spores really yeah i think it's the spores yeah i I just think you shouldn't be disturbing like tombs and people that have died and yeah i think it's wrong like i think i seen a video recently where they discovered a a sarcophagus in egypt somewhere and you see video footage of them opening it up and you see the wrapped mummy in the inside and it's immaculate but i just think fuck that poor bastard he thought he was never going to be disturbed. Now he's after life's fucked. <laughs> I think it is. A lot of people are saying that like what they've written on tombs is more mm. not curses to people because I think even the Egyptians thought it's such a disgusting idea for someone to disturb the actual yeah. like esophagus. Like if you think about grave robbers and stuff, they would rob mm. the tomb itself. They would never touch the mummy. They would take all like the stuff that's in there. But they oh, would did they? Disturb. 
Oh, that's true. Actually, they did leave the bodies behind. They just took the treasures. Yeah. So it's just, I think for Egyptians, that concept of anyone ever disturbing a dead body is so like abhorrent and disgraceful that I don't think it would even enter their minds to curse someone that would do that because I don't think to them anyone would ever do that. And the other thing I was reading as well, it's quite interesting, is so hieroglyphs weren't ever really proper translated till about the 19th century, but all these supposed mummy curses have been going on for centuries. Right. They've been able to read what was on the tomb anyway, so they're all basically made up for like films and stuff like that. Like all these kind of like rumours about curses have all came from the West. Yeah, and I was going to say the same because I was going to look into like gypsy curses, uh-huh. and and like you're saying there, it's probably just been basically something that Hollywood or movies or TV tropes have made up because it's always a gypsy that comes around your door selling lucky haver or whatever, and if you say fuck off, they'll curse you. But then there's no actual incidents of that actually happening. I mean, maybe they'll say like another type of curse, like fuck you or go to the devil or whatever. But that's what anyone would do. But it's not like, you know how the film, what is that film that Sam Raimi did, Drag Me to Hell? That's a prime example. Um, Yeah, it was a gypsy curse. Yeah, it was a gypsy that went into our bank where she worked and asked for a loan. And because she was all disgusting looking in that, she was like, nah, go away. And then she put a curse on her that she'd be dragged to hell. So they see those kind of curses that, Mm -hmm. again, like the whole evil eye would protect you from... That and again, I don't believe in these curses, but a lot of people mm-hmm. genuinely do believe in that. And I guess kind of gypsy curses, North African kind of culture might feed into that a wee bit as well. But yeah, we, people would have like a like an evil eye or the hand. You know, if you've seen like the hand that's on a lot of things as well. Yeah. Like, so like that's toward away. And and Egypt. Yes, yeah, so you get them like in Egypt, the whole North Africa, like Greece, um, kind of. A lot, Are yeah. they- are there a couple of hands on a boat? I think it's usually on a boat that I've seen the evil eye or the maybe the hand. I don't know. Like the tattooed hand, or it looks like it's henna tattooed. Yeah, it's like. Oh, I get. It. I thought that was more of an Indian Hindu thing. No, that's kind of Middle Eastern as well. Actually, Kamsa, oh. which is like five. If you speak to someone Israeli, they'll tell you it's Israeli and Jewish. And it's really not, but you know they have to right. claim. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. When you're in. Like grow like when you I'm not saying you grew up in Egypt, but like you know your family and stuff like that. When you're in Alexandria and anything like that, was there any like talk of See, I would say the Egyptian equivalent of gypsy curses? <laughs> people do general, but my family don't believe in that stuff because we're not superstitious. I think it's a bunch of noise. It's like someone believing that if a black cat walks past you, you're like having bad luck. So my family don't believe in it in any way. But a lot, right. so a lot of times you get in a taxi and they'll have like you know the pendant things that are hanging off the oh, yeah. it's like an evil eye on it because they genuinely believe that people curse each other and it's just like what like see my my ex his family genuinely believe it like genuinely genuinely believe it and they've even blamed me getting divorced on because someone's cursed us <laughs> <laughs> no. not that it's his fault or anything it's just because we're cursed honestly my sister-in-law literally told me this that she believes that all the women and their family are cursed and that's why the second I got married everything went to shit because now I became a woman of the family and I was just like well, this what? is insane it gets worse by the way it's like she goes that someone apparently 
in the country that they're from in North Africa has basically written a curse on a bit of paper and buried it so nobody knows where it is so they can't destroy the curse. It's just such a lame excuse, isn't it, for their own behaviour? They genuinely believe this. Like, she was not even saying this to me in a horrible way. It was more like, you know, every woman in her family that has, in, like, cancer or a disease or anything wrong with them, it's because of this curse. Right. It's just like, okay then, bye. <laughs> I'm free. I don't have the curse on me anymore, apparently. Yeah, well, it's like what they say, if a gypsy curses you, then only a gypsy can uncurse you. Well, maybe me not being part of the family means I don't apply to the, the rules of the curse. It never applied anyway, yes, they were just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I know that and I think it's insane, but now now in the sort of the aftermath of it, I'm like, oh my God, they genuinely believe this nonsense. Like people do And that's it. probably why his relationships keep failing because deep down it they know it's bullshit really or maybe they don't um, maybe they do genuinely believe it and that's why you can't have a decent relationship because he feels that it's never his fault or their fault. It's just always the curse. The massive narcissist. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, I what I feel listening to this podcast. <laughs> but yeah, other Egyptian curses are uh-huh. you know how that guy that's always on like Egyptology things? Um it's called Oh, Yeah. Like, Isn't he wasn't he um in some sort of scandal recently? Oh, I don't know, probably. I'm sure someone was accusing him of corruption or, or some shit like that. All Egyptians. Or that he wouldn't let anyone, like, I think he has some ego on him, basically. I think if anyone else tries to claim that they're a top Egyptologist, he'll just muscle in and say, actually, I'm the best and all that shit. Um, he would put some sort of curse on them, probably. Yeah, he probably would. <laughs> what, yeah, so what, 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 what about this guy? Yeah. Is he cursed? Convinced. Oh, he's not cursed, but I think he wants to be. But yeah, he, he probably does. One of the guys that he works with was cursed. Mm-hmm. So we were excavating Com Abobilo. And they had to transport a lot of kind of Greek Roman. It, it, you know, there's lots of stuff that's Greek and Roman, like, like yeah, the Greco-Roman period of Egypt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were moving something that was there, and so the day that they did that, this guy's cousin died, and then a year later, on the exact same day, his uncle died, and then a year later, his aunt died, and every year, someone in his family dies, and because he was so convinced, he was. It cursed. He then got the thing that he'd taken from that, and he had to return it, and then the curse stopped. Hmm. Yeah. But then he didn't die, and he was. A, why should his family suffer for something that he? Because I guess it's more of a curse if you people suffer. People around you, and you you have to witness it. Yeah. That's fucked up. If that's a real curse, that's pretty badass, you know. But there is something to that because I was looking into ancient curses because this is crystal myth, and I like to look into mythology and history of like Roman curses. They had cursed, cursed pla- um, plaques yeah, and cursed dolls. The Romans did. Another one, which I think this one is just actually ridiculous, is there's a mummy that's called the Unlucky Mummy. And it's is more like the, the esophagus. Of it. They don't know exactly who's inside it, but it's apparently someone that's quite important or someone royal or something, but they don't know who it is. But mm. she's in the British Museum and she's like always in there. And then basically weird things kept happening. So like the security guard that was in the museum, he died. Weird things would always happen. Like the other security guards would always hear like things like banging, like just stuff kind of getting not thrown about, but they'd find things like not in the right place, like the next morning and stuff. So they were all basically Mm. absolutely convinced that this mummy was cursed and they had to get rid of it. They sold it to some dude in the States, like an archaeologist in the States. 
And guess what ship it was supposedly on? It was Titanic. on Titanic. Basically, yeah. It was supposedly oh. on Titanic. And everyone blames the whole Titanic going down on this mummy. But it turns out that's a whole load of bollocks as well because she never actually left the museum ever. Um, but yeah, loads of people are very, very convinced that the Titanic went down because... Yeah. I thought it was more to do with that Hope Diamond thing. Oh no, that's just a film that made that up. I don't yeah. think it was on there. <laughs> Because the diamond ended up the bottom of the sea, didn't it? In the movie. The Hope Diamond is real, which I can tell tell you about that. The Hope Diamond is, um, yeah, in the the 1660s, it was a French gem. The French gem dealer, Jean-Baptiste Tavernier, purchased a large diamond of unknown origin during a trip to India. Yet by the 20th century, a myth had sprung up in the United States and Europe that Tereni had stolen the diamond from the statue of a Hindu goddess. They, they, they say that the jewel was like in, on the forehead, you know, like a giant bindi mm. on this goddess, and he prized it off. And because he did that, it was then cursed. So the newspapers and jewellers who spread this story claimed the diamond was cursed and brought bad luck to those who owned it. By 1939, no, sorry, by 1839, the diamond supposedly ended up with Henry Philip Hope, hence the name. He was a Dutch collector based in London. Sometime after this, European and American newspapers began claiming it carried the curse. But why, though? Though well, there are stories about it. I'm sure I've seen that. Like, if you if you had this Hope diamond, then people died or think shit things happened oh. to you. So, um, but yeah, because he stole it from. A goddess's head. They don't actually know where it came from, but no, it didn't get thrown to the bottom of the bloody ocean. <laughs> yeah. Shocking. Shocking. Yeah, there's loads of like other like people that like convinced that they're cursed. So there is um even like up till quite recently. So every like few years, like more people start investigating this because there's more like curses that supposedly throw up like that come up. So there's one even like two thousand four. There's a guy just like, you know, when you go to, like, Valley Kings and all that, like, mm. I get visiting there, and I don't know, like, what museum he was in or whatever, but he actually stole, like, a relic, and he went back to, he went back to Germany, and as soon as he got home, he, like, had a really, really bad fever, he was absolutely paralysed, and he died, and then after he died, then his family all started getting ill as well, so there, his son basically got really scared, and he's like, oh my god, this is, because then they found that he'd stolen this thing from Egypt, and they were really, really scared that they were cursed, so he had to return it to Egypt. And as soon as he returned it, people stopped getting sick. And I'm like, that's very weird. But again, I'm like, what if he just picked up some illness when he was in Egypt? Yeah, I mean, he could have, I suppose. A lot but, of people say that <coughs> if they, um, I think if they take some rocks from a sacred place, mm. that Maybe. they often send it back in an envelope because they feel like, they've been cursed by whatever spirits there or whatever for taking the land the the rocks from the sacred land usually like american like native americans or something like that well there is another dude as well this guy's an egyptologist it's 1971 they were excavating saqqara and they mm-hmm. had a statue of osiris um and he ended up not taking it home but taking it back to his like tent thing that he was sleeping in and he just had it in there and then his like his assistant or whatever basically heard him screaming and screaming screaming from the bathroom and he went to go like see what was up and he said that he was basically holding onto the sink like screaming and like traumatized that he'd basically seen all these like bad spirits and yeah they had to basically drag him away and like get get a doctor to help him but he was so like paralyzed out of fear 
that he also died the next day as well. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know, like both of them seem really, really similar where they were like, they had a fever, then they were paralyzed and then they died because of the curse. Because they or took there. Is, is it in their head? Oh, maybe like if they believe in the curse, does that fear, like if you have like debilitating fear, could it actually kill you? Right. I found it. Okay. So the ancient Roman curses. So this would probably link into the Egyptian stuff, the, um, the Roman but the Greco-Roman period. So the Romans believed that the human soul would renew every seven years, repairing whatever damage they'd suffered during that time. They also thought that a mirror's reflection was a way to look into the soul. So people think that that's where the origin of, you know, the seven years bad luck if you break a mirror comes from, which I find fascinating. If you break a mirror, you break apart your soul, which would have to go through a seven-year cycle to renew. Until your soul achieves renewal, you would endure misfortune because of your broken soul. So that's where you get the bad luck. Mm. Or maybe it's supposed like Harry Potter, like Horcrux or something. I don't, maybe that's where she got it from. But there was like basically one other story of, again, people that had been at the dig, they'd excavate yeah. stuff. Taking them like taking the mummy itself. So this isn't like stuff in the tomb. This is the actual physical mummy. They've taken that and they're on a ship, like shipping it back to their country. And the sailors are basically terrified every night, and they keep saying that they're seeing these spirits and ghosts, like terrorizing them all night. And this goes on for days until they're like so convinced it's from the mummy, so they chuck the mummy off the boat and then oh, stop. know. And I just think, oh my god, why didn't they? Was- yeah, I'm sorry, if you're going to throw the mummy off the boat and then throw it in the sea away from where its eternal resting place yeah. should be, then surely that's going to be a fucking worse thing to do. Yeah, you would think that would just mean your boat would be, like, capsized and you would all die. Yeah. For that. <laughs> that's what they deserve. There's been other ones as well where they've, like, found, like, suffocuses of, like, children and say they've maybe separated the children from the parents. Mm-hmm. I get one's been like terrorized over and over again until they bring them back together again um so there's been ones where they've basically put them all back closed off the tomb and just went like nobody's going in there and then whatever terror they were going through stops as well so see this is why i think these curses i wish they would work because i don't agree with them being separated and taking them out of their final resting place and put in a museum like when i went to egypt and i visited the egyptian museum and you pay a bit extra to see all the the mummies of the kings and queens. I fucking hated that, looking at them all just lying there on a slab on a glass case, thinking, you shouldn't, you don't belong here. There's one in Glasgow, you need to know that. Like in the yeah, parents. oh, there's one in the borough collection as well. It's so horrible. Like, you're like, so I think maybe, maybe some of these curses are not curses, it's actually they're like spirits coming back to haunt them because they're like put me back like what are you doing like why are you removing my body and moving me like thousands and thousands of miles away it's horrible but yeah I just I, I don't well, I, mean, I suppose if you believe in an afterlife and things like that then it would be more concerning but if you don't then they're just dead people aren't they they're yeah. just objects or just like empty vessels I suppose regardless of what you believe it's disrespectful to their belief I think it is yeah and I just, I don't understand how it became acceptable to do that. Because can you imagine someone doing that to, like, a body they'd been buried, like, recently? Like, it, it's, I'm pretty sure it's illegal. Well, it, sure. well, I mean, they, they, look at Burke and Hare. They were oh. body snatching and they were, like, they were horrified at that. Like, digging up yeah. the dead for medical purposes. What makes them think that 
digging up mummies is any better. In fact, they used to grind, like they used to sell mummies on the street and um, grind them up in powder and say, look, here, buy this mummy. It's good for you for medicine. Yeah. We covered that before, I think. So it's fun. It's acceptable. So if they're cursed, they deserve it. Yeah. So in a way that I kind of think that these curses are there for a reason to protect the dead, not to yeah. like fuck with the living just because for fun. I don't know. I don't think obviously it's not going to be like the movies where the mummy comes out and stalks them. <laughs> well, I found the Roman curse tablets. So they used lead tablets and they inscribed them with a variety of curses in a number of ways in ancient Rome. One of their uses was to elicit help from the dead. Many Roman graves contain these tablets. Usually they were asking for help from a particular deity to get revenge on someone by having that deity bestow malvescence or misfortune upon them and in return the person writing the message would promise to make offerings at their temple so they would say oh i hate that bitch livia she really does my tits in i don't know juno or whoever please i'll get if you if you fuck her up or you know make her ugly or have her lose all her hair or something then i'll sacrifice like 10 lambs in your honor something like that it's <laughs> really what lambs, don't they yeah um, they just wanted yeah. their their livestock sacrifices so Romans would bury these tablets in front of thresholds or upon trees outside of homes to bestow the curses. They thought that being in proximity to the target's home would help bring the gods to them to make it easier to curse them. It was also common to place a curse tablet in a body of water. And they also have cursed dolls. So before the voodoo doll thing, ancient Romans would use miniature dolls as effigies of their targets to instill curses upon them. They sometimes use cursed dolls in conjunction with a cursed tablet or other times just used them by themselves. The dolls were generally lead or bronze. In order to be an effective curse doll, it had to meet certain criteria. The doll contained the target's name. The doll's arms and legs were twisted behind the torso. The doll was skewered with nails. The head or feet were backwards, and it was placed in a grave buried near the target's home or in a body of water. Just to basically save the same purpose as curse tablets. So they invented voodoo dolls, basically. Very much, yeah. <laughs> they were found in Egypt as well. But some of the ones yeah. that were found in Egypt were for erotic purposes um, because Ooh. the dolls were entwined in a sexual position. <laughs> so maybe they just wanted some sexy time and they thought we're making some dolls. It might happen in real life, like a love potion. Oh, or if they do something to the doll, you feel it in real life. That could be a yeah, well, I don't yeah, know. Like, that's interesting. Like, doll, like, enjoyment doll. Well, there's plenty of them going about these days. Oh, God. So I'll just finish off the point. I mean, I was going to go into like gypsy curses, but like I say, there's not really much about that. And I think it's just a bit of a stereotype against Roma people because not even they believe in curses. So just so they, they know that, you know, that people think of Roman Roma gypsies as like giving out curses but they don't actually believe in it themselves but they utilize it to like intimidate people into buying whatever they're trying to sell because mm. they think all oh, these idiots think that i'm going to put a curse on them so i think it's again just more crap from hollywood that's been made up yeah i think it's more yeah. inciting using prejudice to gain to scare money people. yeah to scare people hatred and make people hate each other Oh dear. But they don't actually believe in it themselves. But I'm going to look at James Dean because this is a cursed car, apparently. I find this really, I've always found, thought this was really interesting um, about the cursed car. So James Dean is probably one of the hottest actors to live in the 50s, 1950s. 
poor guy only made like two films, maybe three films in his life before he sadly died um, because of this situation. So have you heard, of, do you know about James Dean? I know about James Dean, but I didn't know about the cursed car. He had a car that he named Little Bastard and he bought it. <laughs> yeah. It was a Porsche 550. So it's a quite a small little sports car, really low to the ground. And it was silver. And he had the number 130 put on it. Because um, James Dean liked to race cars in his spare time. He was a bit of a rebel himself. So he bought this car in 1955 and he purchased this it's a porsche 550 spider and he brought it to a customizer and legendary film flim flammer so i guess that means what's a flim flammer someone who's just a bit, bit of a a dodgy guy like <laughs> i don't know i don't know george barris was like someone that was good at talking shit but that wouldn't be yeah or maybe selling it. stuff i don't know but he brought it to this guy george barris to have it personalized so he chose tartan seats the number 130 emblazoned on the hood and the name little bastard painted just under the porsche emblem on the engine cover the monkey mobile builder dean jeffries did the lettering yeah. on september 23rd 1955 while driving the car around los angeles now this is a bit that i find really fascinating he met up with british actor alec guinness otherwise known as obi-wan kenobi you know in the star wars films yeah. outside a restaurant he showed the deeply superstitious guinness his new porsche so he's like here guinness look at this check this shit out my car <laughs> yeah in Guinness's unpublished diaries and letters, he wrote, The sports car looks sinister to me. Exhausted, hungry, feeling a little te- ill-tempered in spite of Dean's kindness, I heard myself saying in a voice I could hardly recognise as my own, Please never get in it. If you get in that car, you will be found dead in it by this time next week. So he said this to Dean's face. But and then, he- well, James Dean just laughed it off. He was just like, ah, <laughs> very funny. But he just, didn't think it was him saying it. He was as if someone made him say yeah, that. Yeah, he had a gut feeling about the car. He just like, he felt like it was evil. Oh my God, that's so weird. But the weirdest thing is about that. So he said, if you get in that car, you will be found dead in it by this time next week. A oh. week later, exactly a week later, on September 30th, James Dean and Rolf Wundrich, who's a former Luftwaffe pilot, so basically a Nazi, in fact, we trained Porsche mechanic, because Porsche's German, were at Competition Motors in Hollywood preparing the little bastard for racing that weekend at Salinas. The intent was for Dean to trailer the car to Salinas behind his 1955 Ford Country Squire. Instead, he decided get in the car itself and drive it there rather than hook it up and, you know, drag it to the, like tow it to the, the racing park. Yeah. Because the Luftwaffe guy, Rolf Wutterich, said that we need to break in the engine to warm it up and stuff to get used to it. So he could, so James Dean could familiarise himself with the car he just purchased. And Rolf sat next to him for the ride. So Rolf's his mechanic. The group left a coffee shop across from Competition Motors at 1.15pm. And at 3.30pm, California Highwayman Patrolman O.V. Hunter stopped Dean and he wrote him a ticket just south of Bakersfield for driving at 60 mi- 65 miles per hour in a 55 zone. So he got a speeding ticket. Speeding ticket. Yeah. So Hickman got a ticket for 20 miles per hour over the limit because he was towing a trailer, which meant his maximum speed should have been 45. So that's the other guy. Like, 
towing the trailer behind them. So they both got speeding tickets. At Blackwell's Corner on Route 466, the caravan stopped for drinks and met up with Lance uh, Reventlo and Bruce Kessler, also competing in the Salinas Road races in Reventlo's Mercedes-Benz 300 SLO Coupe. Approximately 5.15pm, Dean and Hickman drove west towards Paso Robles. A half hour later, a black and white 1954 Tudor Coupe, which is a much bigger like car um, and heavier, was headed east on 466, driven by a 23-year-old California Poly student and w- get his name his name is Donald Turnupspeed. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant name. What the fucking chances of that? <laughs> Turnupspeed. He made so he made a left on Route 41. As he crossed the centre line, Dean, who was estimated to be travelling at 85 miles per hour, so he's going way too fast, tried to avoid the Ford, and the two cars met head on. The mm-hmm. Ford Coupe slid 30 feet down Route 466 in the westbound lane. Soon afterwards, an unconscious and dying Dean was placed into an ambulance. Woodrick, who had been thrown from the spider and was lying on the shoulder of the road next to the little bastard, was transported in the same ambulance to the Paso Robles War Memorial Hospital almost 30 miles away. Dean was pronounced dead on arrival at 6.20pm. So he, the, the, it was totaled. So some people witnessed the, the little bastard when it hit the front of the Ford that Turnup Speed was, was driving. It flipped several times and then crumpled. So he was getting tossed about and Dean got crushed. So his foot got crushed between the brake and the clutch. Oh, my God. And his arms were broken and his neck was broken. So he, he died shortly after, after they took him out of the car, basically. Did the next Exactly week. a week later yeah. after. What? Did the other guy survive? Like, he mm-hmm. just out and must have survived. Yeah, he survived. That's mad. He survived. Dean and Dean was killed. I don't know whether, I don't think they were wearing, I'm not sure. I don't think they imagine they'd be wearing seatbelts. Well, obviously, I don't think so. Yeah. So, crazy. Dean was pronounced dead on arrival, 6.20pm at the hospital. Turnup speed walked away with just a scratch on his nose. Now, he didn't see Dean coming because Dean's car was really low to the ground. It's just a little low sports car. His car was quite a big Ford pickup truck thing. So, he obviously, when he was turning into that junction, did not see Dean coming towards him. He shouldn't have been going at that speed anyway. It was ridiculous. <laughs> So, yeah, exactly a week later, as Obi-Wan Kenobi said. <laughs> That's so weird. So here's the curse part. Yeah. So George Barris, who who did up the car and customised it, he mm. purchased the wrecked Porsche for $2,500 with the likely intent to sell tickets to look at it. So that would be the flim-flam side of him. And he transported the car back to his shop the car slipped off at trailer and broke the leg of the mechanic. That's the first thing that happened mm. after Dean. So Barris then sold the engine and drivetrain to Troy McHenry and William Ishreed. The two used parts to build cars of their own and were racing against each other with those parts in place. So they had parts of the little bastard inside their own cars. Henry lost control and slammed into a tree. The impact killing him instantly. So that's the third victim of this car. Ishreed was driving his car and the wheels suddenly locked up for no apparent reason, sending the car rolling over in a turn. Ishreed was seriously injured in the crash. Two tyres from the little bastard were in Barris' garage. 
untouched since the accident that claimed Dean's life. He sold the tyres and both of them exploded simultaneously, causing the driver to run off the road. Mm. In a piece that appeared in Jalopnik, the curse apparently continued even further. Due to all incidents involving Little Bastard, Barris decided to hide the car, but was convinced by the California Highway Patrol to lend the cursed heap to a highway safety exhibit. The first exhibit was unsuccessful as the garage that housed the car caught fire and burnt to the grounds. <laughs> Mysteriously, the car suffered virtually no damage from the fire. The next exhibition at a local high school ended abruptly when the car fell off its display and broke a nearby student's hip. <laughs> Later, George Barkus was hauling the wreckage of the spider on a flatbed truck and was killed instantly when the Porsche fell on him after he was thrown from his truck in an accident. Mishap after mishap continued until 1960 when the twisted debris was on loan to a safety exhibit in Miami. Following the exhibit, the wreckage in the truck that was hauling it mysteriously vanished on the way back to Los Angeles. It has never been found since. Never been found. Do you think it's a curse or do you think it's possessed? Interesting question. Because if it's cursed, who cursed it? I don't know. I mean, it's like that. It's like that book, Christine, that by Stephen King. That was an evil car. Yeah. But I don't remember. I don't. And I've never read the book, so I don't know why the the car was like alive. So it's it's a weird one that, and it's weird because there was pictures of James Dean like a week before he bought that car, posing inside a coffin. Mm. Posing lying in a coffin. It's almost as if it was all meant to be. Like it was total fate. Uh, it's really strange. That's quite creepy. How oh, I know where that car is now. Some people say that Barris deliberately had it taken away and maybe buried somewhere or because it was causing too much. Bears to bury it because you can't destroy it. Like it sounds like you can't. Yeah, it. but it's even like if you've got, if you, it's not, it's not like you even have to have the entire car. It's just bit, even a tiny little nut from the car would fuck you up if you put it in your vehicle. I mean, you might not even know it's from the little bastard. Yeah, that's the thing you wouldn't even know. <laughs> but someone has to have, like just buried it somewhere. Then it's the only way to stop the curse. But then they did say that it burnt in a garage and the car was unaffected, so it's not like you could burn it because no, it didn't burn. Buried it. Like, buried it. Yeah. Yeah. If you bury the car, does that mean the land is cursed then? Mm. Or maybe, maybe people crash near the site. That would be an interesting one. I don't know. That's quite creepy. There's also places in England where there's been like dreadful car crashes, like fatal ones, or even the A9 in Scotland is a notorious one as well for car crashes. True. And that people speculate that the roads are cursed, and that's why so many crashes happen, because of the negative energy that's built up around it. That's where the car is now. I don't know. (laughs) Makes you think, though. So next time you're buying a car, maybe make sure you know exactly where the parts come from because you don't want it to be from the little bastard. No, exactly. I wonder what what made Dean name it that as well. Like, did he know there was something fucked up about it? Yeah, because usually people give their cars nice names. Like, yeah, my car is my baby. I would never call it something bad. And he had a Nazi in the car. It's funny how the Nazi survived and he didn't, though. I know. Yeah. Super weird. And he was just, I think he was only 23 when he died, James Dean. So he was really young. Mm, I 
think Aussie is like young. Mm-hmm. Oh. Hmm. It's very weird. I don't want to look into this a bit more because it's very strange. Okay, well, that's all I've got to say about that, as Forrest Gump would say. No, I feel like we've just been left on this cliffhanger of, oh my God, where's the car? Well, nobody knows where it is. Oh, that's weird. It just mysteriously vanished. Of course, like, there are still bits of, like, they're talking about the main body of the car, not, like, the parts and the wheels and things. Like, there's still parts of the little bastard that are out there, or people like Zach Bagans who collect haunted objects own, I think, own parts of it that are, like, collectors. To get this up to them. But I wouldn't dare put it in a car. Yeah. Because it causes it causes accidents or deaths. Like it broke it. That was weird as well. Like the the school shouldn't it broke it or hit. Yeah. Like you just it, it's just a disaster. Like the whole thing. No, it's I find this really really fascinating actually. Also the the weird the iron the ironic thing about James Dean before he got in that car as well is that he filmed an actual like road safety short movie about how you might die if you like drag race or you know drive like a dick or drive too fast. And he did the exact same thing and died. By the way, I've just found an article that's from April this year. Uh An ultra rare Porsche 550 Spider discovered in a shipping container after 35 years. Oh my god, that could be it. That could be the the bastard. Don't buy it. Or or just just bury it. Just bury it, see? That's crazy. Like... Mm. Since the 1950s, it's been like locked in this container. Not since this was made. Like Porsches were from the 1950s. Sorry, yeah, locked in a container for 35 years. Well, that that sort of when did matches up? It disappeared in 1960, so so a oh. bit longer. That's a bit longer then. Oh, could it be it? That's so creepy. Mm. Maybe it's one of these things where it will always come back, no matter how much you try and get rid of it. Like, yeah, maybe someone found it in the middle and it kind of destroyed their life as well and then they put it into this container and just locked it up and threw away the key. And I know I don't believe in curses, but that one spooked me. Yeah, this sounds very cursed. That's so cool. But there's no explanation of it. I, I can't explain why that car would, would be cursed or evil. Like, how can you get an evil car? What colour was James Dean's one? That was a Spider 550. Silver. But- it was silver, yeah. so this one's red, but they say it was oh. red, and it might be, yeah. like white silver underneath it. Shit! <laughs> oh my god! So scary! What the hell? Good, quick detective work. I know. Powerful. Wow. That's so weird. That proper weird. I oh, wish I could go back in time, and well, I suppose if he wasn't going to listen to what's his name. The guy who plays Obi Wan Kenobi, Alec Guinness. If, if he's not, if he's not exactly going to listen to me, is he? If I tell him not, not to get in that car, tweet him or something. And be like, oh yeah, tweet him. He's not going to tweet people, don't they? Like, <laughs> he might reply to you. What from beyond the from the past? I can tweet him from the past when Twitter didn't exist. Yeah, like, runs his. People <laughs> <laughs> not all have like Twitter accounts, but like media people run it for them. What and then I'm you've really confused me. Obi Wan Kenobi, he can like reply to you from the dead off his Twitter account. Can't, what he's Space Force Ghost? Who's <laughs> just taking a weird turn? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's funny. <laughs> I wish I could save James Dean. Basically, I wondered. I just wondered, like, what kind of movies he would have done 
if he'd lived, like, what kind of, how old would he, maybe, I don't know, you know, it's like the 27 Club, I don't know if we've mentioned that, that was supposed to have started by a, a black blues player, guitarist, called Robert Johnson, and supposedly he met the devil at the crossroads, and the devil said, in exchange for your soul, I'll make you the greatest guitar player that's ever lived. And he went, yeah, sign me up, bitch. And he did become the greatest guitar player they ever lived. But so to the price was that he died at the age of 27. Oh and then ever since then, there's been a whole chain of rock stars that have also died at the age of 27. Oh, yeah. And they think that that's, that that's the Robert Johnson curse. Or that they all basically made a pact with the devil. And- or maybe the devil got a taste for it and thought, right, yeah. I've got him. I'm going to get more. Yeah. And they all signed up to like mm-hmm. get the stardom, but then died with them. So creepy. Twenty-seven seems to be like the age where the devil claims your soul. Yeah, wonder why. But, like, That's an interest. I know there's been so many. I think the last one was Amy Winehouse. There might be more. I don't know. Um, not that I can think of off the top of my head. I, I think there are more. Um, but I can't think who any of them are. That's because we're old. And we can't remember anything. Can you remember Alex Guinness's name, even though I said it like 30 seconds ago? Oh, I just Googled it as well. Oh. Jake's and Kirk Cobain both died at 27. Yeah. Janice Joplin. Mm. Mama Cass. Mad. What the hell? Uh, I, 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 I heard of the 27 Club, but this is a bit messed up. Yeah. This is definitely some sort of curse then. What's that going to be our next topic? Good question. Whose turn is it to pick a number? Me, um, it's mine. No. What's it between? Uh, up to 15? Yeah, up to 15. I'm just going to go with number one. Uh, number one is Ghost Stories. Ghost Aww. That's a bit, that's quite, that's a bit, um, it's not. Be <laughs> bored of it. <laughs> not that, it's just like Ghost Stories. It's, it's, it's too big. Yeah. Like it's too wide a topic. Like, can we narrow it down to specific types of ghosts, or is it any? Like, help me out here. Like, uh, well, I mean, you picked a very early number. I think this is something we probably said in one of the first podcasts. So I, I don't know off the top like, of my head. Animal ghosts or something. Oh, animal Ooh. ghosts. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm into that. Cool. Animal ghosts. Right. Okay. Well, we'll do animal ghosts for next week. Yay! I sound so despondent, don't I? I'm really sorry. I just like I've had enough. <laughs> got cursed from this episode. Maybe there's a Crystal Myth podcast curse. No, let's not do that because then no one will listen. Yeah, yeah. no, I don't. I don't want to be cursed. Thanks. You'll be fine. Work. You've got an evil eye all around your house. You'll be fine. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I'm very protected. Yeah, I have all my Egyptian gods on the wall, and I have their statues on my desk. So I'm the one that's screwed then, basically. <laughs> I've got Sekhmet, Bastet, the hippopotamus with the crocodile on its back. And I've got Anubis and Horus and Isis. So them. I've got quite a lot, yeah. <laughs> what is the name of the hippopotamus with the crocodile on its back? Please someone look that up and tell me. No idea. I want to Google it right now. Yeah, Google it. The one I offend it because I can't tell I its, its name. But I can't think of it. Is it a deity god thing? Yeah. It's got pendulous <laughs> rares. <laughs> what? 
Tawet. Oh no, hold on, that's the one. Tawet. Oh, is yeah, that it? Yeah, it's a hippo with a crocodile on his back. Are they both called Tawet? I wonder, or have they got separate names? I don't know why he's carrying a crocodile on its back, but it is. It's cute. She's not like a. It's not a boy one. It's a girl one. Yeah, she helps people who are pregnant. I think um, deal with childbirth. Or no, that's Bez. Sorry. No, it's just says she's for protection. Yeah, it's just for for protection. So I'm protected. She'll keep you safe then. You're fine. Yay. Okay. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crystal Myth Podcast. I've been Leslie Anderson, and that's been Mark Dornan, and of course we have the lovely Yaz. And we'll be back next week, um, maybe with Yaz if she if her holiday shit because she's going off to Croatia with the random ass girls. That- yeah. <laughs> oh, what is this? <laughs> Let's hope it won't be a cursed trip. Oh. Take take a little talisman with you for God's sake, yes. <laughs> or maybe if you get a talisman in Croatia, they must have something. Sure, they have some. Yeah, most Balkan countries have fucked up myths and stuff. Don't they? Sure, they anyway, do. I will let you know. <laughs> okay. Well, Yasmin might be with us. She might not uh, next week. But one thing that will happen is that Mark and I will actually be in the same room together recording. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'm so jealous. I know. It would be nice if all three of us were here, but hey-ho. Bye. You are cursed. You are cursed. I curse thee. Crystal. Man.